Romans. Romans chapter 14. The text that we're going to look at today encourages us to, to consider how we can operate from a place of sound judgment, both in terms of how we treat each other, how we interact with each other, and also just in our relationship with the Lord. And so something that I know that you think is true of me, I know you think that I just always do all the right thing all the time, right? I know that you do. I say that tongue in cheek because you know I I don't always do the right thing at the right time. But uh, there there are a few times that I've done some, some pretty dumb things in my day and uh, some, some things that uh, were not the wisest, not the smartest thing. I, I've, I've thought a lot about, well, what are the, what, what's the story I could tell on myself? There's a lot of stories I could tell on myself. Really what I've thought about is what story am I comfortable telling on myself that you would know uh, about me, uh, that you would know this to be true uh, of me in, in thinking about this to help kind of bridge uh, our, our way into the text today. When Pike was young, we had gone to, uh, we had gone shopping at uh, Target. We had we had gone to Target, and it was the time of year when things were were pretty cold, and so he was bundled up in his coat, and um, and we're pushing the cart. Pike's in the cart. He's big enough that he's not sitting in the little seat, uh, you know, there facing you in the cart, but. Uh, in the the basket of the cart, if you will, right? Which I know that's a no-no. No parents, you never do that, but I did that. Uh, that was maybe step one of my mistake, and you can probably see already where this is going. And uh, w- we get done, we check out, he's there in the basket of the cart, and we're, we're going out to the car, and he stands up in the cart, and he's got it, you know, the, the coat on, so he looked like he's all padded and insulated like the little kid in the Christmas story or something, you know, and then he's got all that on and he's standing up and, and he's thinking, oh, this is fun. And I'm, I'm thinking he's enjoying it. So I speed up just a little bit. I'm going just a little bit faster, not like at a run or anything. Okay. Don't call the police on me. He survived. He made it. Uh, but I speed up just a little bit. And, uh, and, and of course, you know, like any kid in that moment, faster, daddy. <laughs> and so I go just a little bit faster, N- nothing, nothing faster than a, a quick walk, but fast enough that when I start to pull back, he keeps going, even though the cart is no longer moving at the same speed. You, you, you get what I'm saying? Now, thankfully, thankfully, this all took place Uh, in the early 2000s before the iPhone was released, before camera phones were a thing, because no doubt somebody would have caught this on video. I would have been, you know, they would have turned me in for abusing my child, that sort of thing. Uh, Instead, the only one who saw my really poor judgment in this case was my wife, and she was very gracious about it as well. But Pike went head, literally head forward over the, the end of the, the, the cart, you know, as I slow that thing down and did more or less a flip before landing on the ground. Uh, he he, he kind of kept going in his body. And, and as I've said already, he had his coat on. So there was some padding, some insulation. They're not my greatest moment as a parent. In fact, um, I, I suppose not my worst either, but the worst that I'm going to tell you about uh, at least. <laughs> You know, we all do things that we, we look back on and we think, ah, that was, that was not smart. That was not wise. That was certainly one of those moments for me. It was not smart. 
not wise. And thankfully, the consequences were mitigated by the fact that uh, he was young and, and he bounced up and he had, a, you know, he had fun. I, for a moment, I worried that maybe I had caused a traumatic brain injury or something like that, but I don't think I did. Uh, we're thinking through the text today, and in the text, it's going to encourage us to think with proper judgment, to think with sound judgment. And as we, as we understand what that means, I, I, want us to, I want us just to acknowledge the, the basic reality is this. We don't always think with sound judgment, right? We don't. We make foolish choices. We make poor decisions. We do things that are unwise. That's a part of our, our, our nature given the fall, I suppose. It's a part of the fact that we're just, we're, we're, we're human. And, and so sometimes we do right, but a lot of times we don't. And sometimes we're even in our attempts to do what is wise and even in our attempts to do what is, what is good and what is best, often we, we fall short somehow. But what this passage is pointing us to understand today is that we need to think, especially as it relates to each other in the body, we need to think with proper judgment, that we need to see each other if we can. We need to see each other in the light, right, the right light, get the, the, the words right there. We need to see each other in the right light. We need to see each other to the best of our ability. We need to try to see each other with the eyes of Jesus so that when I look at you, when you look at me, when we consider others, that we see each other as the Lord sees us, that he loves us, that he gave himself for us, that he sacrificed for us. And that's important to remember because there are times when, there are times when we, when we hurt each other. There are times when we, when we anger or upset or frustrate, even wound one another inside of the body of Christ. And yet we're called to be one, called to be united. We're called to work together. And so as we think about all of that, I want us to dig into Romans chapter 14 today. Now, I'll tell you, this goes actually a lot deeper than just, did I make someone else upset or did I frustrate someone else? Uh, that's really the tip of the iceberg as we think about how to apply this truth, because it's really about how we can operate from a place of unity, even though we disagree about certain things. And those things that we don't see eye to eye on, and those things that we don't agree about, how we can move forward in a way that we are unified. I think it's so interesting that this particular passage in Romans 14 falls immediately on the heels of what we've just studied in Romans 13 about authority, about our relationship to uh, authorities over us, our relationship to the state, our relationship to these things that God has allowed, these institutions that God has allowed to have uh, some authority in our lives, the law and such, that we are to in in light of all of those things, we're to seek to be at peace and unity with each other. And what's more is, it, it's also just the timing of, of all of this, that all of this happens to fall in a season when we're, we're moving into some, uh, some important elections that are coming up in, in the days and in the weeks ahead. I've been thinking about that this week as I've been praying through and studying through this text that as we try to put all these pieces together and understand, let's acknowledge this. We don't all see eye to eye. We don't all think the same. We probably don't all agree on all the issues and the ways to, uh, to the ways that we ought to operate given the issues. We don't all back the same candidates. We don't all have the same beliefs when it comes to things. And yet we're called to 
to be one in the body of Christ and to encourage each other to keep the main thing, the main thing about who we are as a people, as a church, as our mission, but then also operate from a place of wisdom and discernment with the decisions that we make in the, in, in the application of the truths of God's Word to our everyday lives. All of these things are embedded in this important passage that we're going to study together. Romans chapter 14. Let's dig in. Romans 14, 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass a judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. And so as we think on this, this text this morning, there are three important lessons that I see that I want us to understand as we just walk our way through this passage. Three important truths that, that this text teaches us. The first one is, as followers of Christ, we should exercise just judgment. We need to exercise, we need to seek to exercise just judgment, sound judgment, proper judgment about things. We should make wise and right decisions. And yet, here's the, here's the truth that we have to wrestle with, each one of us, is that we are not just. You and I, we are not perfectly just the way that, that Jesus was perfectly just. And yet, we're, we're called upon to exercise just judgment, to make right choices in, in all of the things, in all of the decisions, all the things that we face in this life. Let's look at the example that Paul gives. And again, Paul's not just offering this as a way of some, uh, some hypothetical. These are real issues written to a, a, a real letter written to a real church who are facing real issues. These are real people who are wrestling through these real issues. He gives two examples here of how there was division in the life of this church, and he's calling them to operate from a place of just judgment, of sound judgment, as they consider what to do. The first example that he gives is about food. It's about food, right? One person believes he may eat anything 
That's some of us. I know that's our favorite verse in the Bible, right? One person believes he may eat anything, if only that were true. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. So here's the situation. Here's the scenario. In, in, in this day, the, the meat that people could buy typically was offered as a, a, a sacrifice to some form of uh, deity. The Romans had, had a, a pantheon, an entire array of gods, uh, of deities that they worshiped. And oftentimes meat would be, would be offered to, or a, they would ask for the blessing of the gods on, on the food, on the things. Even more than that, there were some meats that were sold in the marketplace that had been offered to a god, one of these gods, as a sacrifice, and then you could buy that meat at a discount. You could buy that meat at a discount, and so they would, they would, uh, there was a, a dispute that arose because inside of the church, again, remember you have, you have both Jews and Gentiles. The Jews had strict dietary laws that they followed, a kosher diet. You've heard about this before, right? They had strict dietary laws. What's more, because of their application of the, the Ten Commandments and their, their understanding of what the, the, the law taught concerning Idol, idols and idolatry and bowing down to false idols, a, a no self-respecting Jew, no faithful practicing Jew would purchase meat that had been offered to an idol. And Paul deals with this in a couple of different places. Here in Romans, 1 Corinthians, in, in the book of 1 Corinthians, he writes to the church in Corinth, similar conversations, similar instructions. And so there was, a, there was a disagreement amongst the different members of the church, the different people in the church. One set those from a more conservative, a, a more fundamental Jewish background. And I don't mean conservative and fundamental in the way we characterize conservative and fundamental, okay? But in their context, in their setting. One set from a, a more monotheistic uh, belief rooted and steeped in the Old Testament scriptures and the Old Testament law, who knew the Ten Commandments, who knew those teachings and those truths. That set would have said there's no way that we could that we could purchase those meats. There's no way we could, that we could participate in those things because it's idolatry. It's been offered to a pagan idol. We, my conscience, and, and better yet, the law will not allow it. But you had another set in the church who were Gentiles. They weren't raised in the Old Testament law. They didn't have the Old Testament scriptures. They couldn't just pull out their iPhone and look up what does it say in Exodus chapter 20 in their Bible app about this sort of thing, right? So they didn't, ha they didn't have the background. They didn't have the understanding. They weren't raised. And yet they had come to faith in Jesus. They found freedom in Christ. And they would say, we're not bound to those rules. Those were rules that were given to, to, to you, to the Jews, but they weren't given to us. There's freedom in Jesus. That even Jesus said that there's freedom of conscience in this. Paul himself, who was an, an important figure in their lives, Paul even hints at what he thinks about these things in the way that he offers his own opinion here in, in the verses that follow. And so they would say, no, we, there's freedom. We don't have to follow those rules. And so let's buy the discounted meat and let's, and let's celebrate it and let's thank God for his blessing in our lives. We don't believe in these gods. It's, it's, it's worthless that they've offered that food to a pagan idol because that idol is nothing more than just something they've made up. I'm not worshiping, right? And so there's this disagreement, this sharp disagreement that rose. Now, here's something that's interesting in the way that Paul characterizes the, the two 
sides of this argument, if you will. On the one hand, Paul refers to one group as weak and one group uh, by implication then are strong, right? One group is weak, one group, or, or he even uses the, word, the words like uh, the maturity. And so one group is more mature, one group is less mature. Now what you would expect, what you would expect is that the group who follow the stricter rules, the ones who follow the more strict dietary laws, those are the ones who are strong in their faith. That's what you would expect, right? Those who are more religious, those who, and yet in actuality, those are the ones that Paul refers to as weak. The ones who follow the stricter laws in this sense are weak. It's interesting, right? Look at verse three. Well, let's back up and catch the last half of verse two. The weak person eats only vegetables. That's the person who follows, that, that's in seemingly the person who is more religious, the person who, who is more intent upon observing the law. Let no one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant and another? And so the, the point is this, Paul says, listen, don't judge them because they're operating from a place of conscience. Instead, instead, leave that to the Lord. The point that he's making is that we ought to, we ought to strive more for unity over these things, unity in spite of the ways that we see. Now, um, there's another example that he gives, okay? There's another example. It has to do with the, the day, the days of the calendar. Keep reading verse 5. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each should be fully convinced in his own mind. Now, what's he talking about here? He's talking about the observance of the Sabbath. Again, the Jews had for, for hundreds of years at this point, hundreds of years, had observed the Sabbath as Saturday, the seventh day of the week. That was the Sabbath. And yet here you have this group of Gentile converts who are, who are worshiping the Lord and gathering together for corporate worship on Sunday, on the first day of the week. Why? Because that was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. That's why we're here now today on a Sunday and not on a Saturday is because we follow the same practice as those in the early church, the Gentile converts. We worship the Lord on the first day of the week, the day that Jesus arose. And yet again, for those who were raised in and steeped in the, the Jewish faith, the Jewish tradition, this was, this was uh, it was more than just something that they struggled with. It was something that they downright, they believed that, they, that others were not honoring the Lord. Again, you were violating the law. You were violating God's, God's law that's given to us, right? Even in the, new, in, I mean, in the, uh, the Ten Commandments, we understand that we're to honor the Sabbath, to keep it as a holy day. Well, how could they honor the Sabbath if they were gathering together for corporate worship on the first day of the week? Are they not violating the word of the Lord? Are they not violating the law of God? And Paul, he's speaking into this. For the one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. This is the point that Paul is making, that, we're, that, that on both sides of the equation, people are operating from a, a place of 
sincere faith. And they're seeking to apply the scripture and apply the truths of God, apply the word of God to their lives in the context of their daily life. And so what he says at the end of verse 5 is so important. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. In other words, we need to listen to our conscience. We need to listen to the voice of conscience. Now, there's a caveat to that that I want to make. And the caveat is this, the understanding that we, ought, we would understand that truth in this way. You cannot trust your feelings. That is not what Paul is saying. Well, just do what makes you happy. Listen to, listen to yourself. Do what makes you happy. That's not, that would be a misapplication of what Paul is teaching. He's not saying that we ought to just seek to be happy, just do what makes you feel good, do what you think is right. He's not saying to, to follow your heart uh, in, in that sort of sense. Why? Because the heart is deceptive, because the heart is wicked, because oftentimes our thoughts of what is best and right will lead us astray and lead us into sin. No, he's talking here not about just the heart, the emotions. He's talking about the conscience, and I would even say the conscience directed by the work of the Holy Spirit. Go all the way back to Romans chapter 8 and how we're to walk by faith in the Spirit. We're to be led by, guided by, directed by the Holy Spirit through these things. But the point that he's making is each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. We ought to operate from a place of sincere faith, a place of sincere conviction that we need to seek to understand the Word of God and to apply it to our lives in a way that is faithful to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's important that we understand that these are on um, what we would think of, what I would describe as secondary matters, okay? There are some matters of faith. There are some things that the Bible speaks about clearly in black and white. And there is no room for disagreement on, on those things. Things, for example, related to the very heart of the gospel and the message of salvation itself. Paul writes to the church in Galatia, the churches in Galatia, in Galatians. That he says that if anyone were to come to you and preach a gospel other than the one that we have presented, if it was I or me or even an angel of the Lord, he writes, would come to you and preach a gospel other than the gospel we preach to you. Let them be accursed. Let them be cast out. Why? Because the gospel is not something that we compromise. Because the truth of God, uh, the, the, the matters of first importance, these are not things that there is any room for disagreement about. But he's not talking about primary matters here. He's talking about matters that ping the radar a little further out, right? Secondary matters, uh, things related to the... The, the following of the calendar and the festivals and the day of worship, things related to uh, foods, certain foods, certain dietary laws. The point that Paul's making is that when it comes to these secondary matters, or some that even fall perhaps even further down the list than that, then he's saying there's, there's freedom of conscience in those spaces. And what we must do is seek to exercise just judgment, sound judgment, wisdom in the way that we handle these things. There's an important distinction between being discerning and being judgmental. You know what I'm saying? There's an important distinction. What Paul is saying here is not that we shouldn't be discerning. He's saying that we shouldn't be judgmental. 
And there's an important difference between the two. I think discernment comes from a place of wisdom. When we seek to operate with discernment, when we seek to apply the scripture and apply these truths to our lives in a way that is discerning, we're operating from a place of saying, Lord, I want to honor you with my decision. I want to honor you with the things that I do. I want to honor you with the application of your truth to my life. That's why he says, the one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. And the one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. The point is, these people are operating on both sides of these matters, are operating from a place of, of seeking to honor the Lord and operate with discernment. Judgment, on the other hand, comes from a place of self-righteousness. So discernment comes from wisdom. Judgment comes from a place of self-righteousness. Judgment comes from a place of, of uh, I know better than you. I am, I am better than you. And so the question then is, well, how do I know? In my life, as, I, as I'm trying to exercise discernment on these secondary matters, as I'm trying to find the, the right application of how, how I operate in these spaces, well, Ask yourself the question, does my discernment position me to see myself as superior to others somehow? Does my judgment over these matters, does it draw me closer to Christ in genuine faith? Or does it elevate me above my brothers and sisters in the faith? And I think it's so important that we think about these things in especially as it relates to our desire to be united as a church, to be united for there to be a spirit of unity in our body and in this place. Because there are so many secondary matters that we could be divided over, right? And I've already kind of mentioned this because it's just truly the low-hanging fruit, but politics is, is a big easy one to pick on. Because when we think about politics, when we think about, when we think about uh, certain candidates and certain issues, now hear me when I say this, every one of us needs to do what we, every one of us needs to listen to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Every one of us needs to operate with spiritual wisdom and discernment. Every one of us needs to operate from a place of faithful conviction that we vote as a matter of conscience, that we vote as a matter of prayer, that we do our homework on the candidates, that we do our homework on the, on the issues and, and those things. We, we need to be faithful. We need to exercise that responsibility when it comes to how we operate in the culture around us. And again, because because I'm picking on this matter, especially in terms of like our political engagement and those things. And yet in this room right now, there are people who back the Democratic candidates and those who back the Republican candidates. And in this room right now, there are people who see one matter in a certain way and, and people who see the same matter in an entirely different way. And the question is, who's right and who's wrong? Well, the question that I want us to see is let's take it a step further and say, Who are we to make the decision ultimately of what is right and wrong for someone else if they are operating from a place of wisdom, applying the, again, the, the discernment of the Holy Spirit, operating in space that they're trying to honor the Lord? That's the point. You get it? That's the point. You may think to yourself, no, no God-fearing, self-respecting Christian could ever vote for a Democratic candidate. You may, you may think something like that. I've heard people say things like that. And yet I know a lot of God-fearing 
Jesus-loving, faithful, committed believers who do back those candidates for reasons of the fact that they've, they've sought the leadership of the Lord. They've, they're applying wisdom. Do I agree with them? I'm not saying that I, I'm not saying I always vote this way or that. That's not the point. Do, would I necessarily agree with them? Would I necessarily agree with you? No, but the The point is that we would be united around the essentials. We would be united around the gospel. We would be united around the truth of God and that in all of these other secondary matters, we would seek to operate from a place of just judgment and wisdom and discernment. Will we always get it right? No. Will your brother and sister in this, in this church, your, your, your fellow believer, will they always get it right? No, but you know what? You won't either. Because none of us has perfect understanding. The Lord does, but we don't. None of us is completely just. Again, Jesus was. You're not. I'm not. And so we must seek to operate from a place of just exercising just judgment in a way that would honor the Lord. Secondly, this passage teaches us this. As followers of Christ, we have encountered a just judge. Look at verse 9. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. Why are we to operate from a place of just judgment? Because we have encountered a just judge. Because Jesus, the one who was truly just, Romans 5 taught us that he was both just and the justifier of the one who is in sin. You remember that from months ago? Jesus himself, the perfect, the righteous one, the just one, is our just judge. And so we seek to operate in a place of wisdom, in a place of discernment, not a place of judgment, of self-righteousness, because we have encountered truly the just one, the just judge. Verse 10, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. And then he quotes this from the prophet Isaiah. For it's written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Brothers and sisters, we need to be united together in Christ. Why? Because he's the righteous one and you're not and I'm not. His judgment is perfect and sound and true, but ours isn't. And so, yes, we seek to be faithful. Yes, we seek to be be honorable in the way that we apply these truths, in the way that we live out our faith, in the way we make decisions, in the way that we operate in all of the spaces of our life. We want to seek to honor the Lord. And yet, we also must recognize that we don't have perfect understanding. We don't, we are not perfectly just. We don't have the wisdom of the Lord. And so it it ought to humble us to think that I've encountered a just judge who welcomed me, who opened his arms as he bled on the cross and died for my sin, who gave his life for me that I might be forgiven and I might be set free. And when we truly understand that, we begin to recognize that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Every one of us, every one of us is broken in need of sin. Every one of us 
is desperately in need of the Father's forgiveness. And so the way that we treat each other ought to be a reflection of how we have been treated in Christ. That's what we saw last week when we're to love your neighbor as yourself, when you're to operate from that place where we love others as Jesus has loved us. As followers of Christ, we've encountered a just judge. And then finally, we see in this text that every follower of Jesus should expect to be judged by Jesus. Now, if that doesn't, if that doesn't cause you to, to think soberly, if that doesn't cause you to kind of uh, perk up a bit and be like, uh-oh, then I don't think you really understand what Paul is saying. The truth of the matter is, we shouldn't worry so much about everybody else's judgment and everybody else's application of these truths. We should be more focused on my judgment and my application, often my misapplication of these truths. Because someday, according to what Paul is saying, every one of us will stand before Jesus and give an account. Now, here's the good news. Here's the really blessed, wonderful news, is that someday when we stand in judgment before the Lord, we will be counted as righteous because of the righteous one who gave himself for us. We will be forgiven and set free if by faith we have trusted in Jesus, if by faith we have looked to him for the forgiveness of our sin and yielded our heart and our lives to him as Savior and Lord. We will be forgiven, and yet we still will stand in judgment before the Lord. The Bible makes that clear. Even here, he says, verse 11, as I live, says the Lord, every knee. That doesn't mean all the ones that, that would be convenient for us. That means literally every knee. Every knee shall bow to me. Every tongue shall confess to God. So verse 12, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. This is... This is this is taught again and again throughout the New Testament. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. I, these scriptures will be on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Each one's work will become manifest for the day. That word day there, noticed, is capitalized, because that's talking about the day, the big D day, the coming, the final judgment, right? Each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So even as Christians, as believers someday, we will face judgment for the Lord and we will give an account for the things that we have done. Thankfully, because of the blood of Jesus as the true covering for our sin, we will inherit by faith a righteousness that is not our own. And yet still, we must give an account to the Lord for the things that we have done. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, look at what it says. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Again, the word all there means literally all. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. The Bible's not done. Go to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. Hebrews 4, 13 tells us, 
No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. The scripture is so, so perfectly clear on this that we will stand someday before this just judge and we will give an account. We should expect to be judged by Jesus. And so we ought to be far more concerned with what Jesus would say about us. I should be far more concerned about what Jesus will say about me when I stand in judgment before him than I am about my brother or sister and, and what he might say about them. And when we begin to think in this way and practice our faith in this way, when we begin to operate in this way, then we can have unity even when we disagree with someone else. We can have unity on matters that there's, there's room, there's freedom. Now, Paul has an opinion about these things, right? He tips his hand at this. He tips his hand here when, when he talks about the, the, the matters related to the, the dietary laws and, uh, and, and, and those things. He, we can read in some of his other writings as well. In 1 Corinthians, for example, he writes that, that I'm, I'm free. Uh, I, I'm free of these things. And yet he says that I become all things to all people that by any means I might win some Paul has an opinion on these matters, and yet he's willing to let his opinions not stand in the way of unity in the body. Increasingly, we live in a, in a culture, in a world that would divide us over less important things. What we need to do is to seek to operate from a place of wisdom and discernment in those spaces. And we need to be united together around the essentials the matters of, of primary importance. So let's just name, what are a few of those matters of, of primary importance? Well, I've, I've already, I've talked about the gospel, right? What Paul wrote to the Galatians. That what we believe about Jesus is essential. That's worth, that's worth dividing over. That's worth, uh, that, 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 we need to understand the matter of the gospel. There are other things. There are, I think that where we stand in terms of just our understanding of the authority of God in our lives through his word and the role of the scripture in our words, uh, uh, rather in our lives of, of the power of the word, the authority of the word, this word is given to us by God as authoritative for my life as a believer. That is something that, that I must remain faithful and true to. Here's one that's kind of easy because it's in our name, baptism, right? As Baptists, we have chosen to, we have chosen to, to say this is what we believe about this essential doctrine, this essential practice, so much so that we put it in our name, what we, what we believe to be true about these things. There are matters that are of primary importance. But can I just tell you, who you vote for in November is not on that list. I'm sorry if that steps on your toes, but now that doesn't mean that do whatever you want. No, operate from a place that you would honor God. Pray about those decisions. Do your homework on those decisions and vote the, with a conscience that is led by the Spirit of God. And I think if you do, I think actually we're probably going to begin to see more eye, uh, eye to eye on a lot of those things than than what I, what the sermon would, would indicate, right? But the, again, I pick on that one because it's the, it's the obvious thing. 
we need to honor the Lord. We need to operate from a place of wisdom and do as even what it, it taught us in uh, Romans chapter 12 a few weeks ago. Leave it to God. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Leave, leave things that are beyond our control in the hands of God because he's a more just judge anyway. And we need to seek to operate from wisdom and faithfulness in all the spaces. Well, the wisest decision any of us can make is to surrender our heart and our life to Jesus as Lord, to trust him by faith, to surrender our hearts and our lives to him. And then from that point, from that decision, it's that being our foundation, we begin to build on that foundation as we seek to honor God and we seek to allow the spirit to influence our decisions and we seek to operate with the wisdom that's influenced by the word of God in our everyday life. Each one of us, as it said in verse 5, should be fully convinced in his own mind. We should, we should, if you don't have peace and you don't feel like you have a word from God, and you, and, and then keep praying, keep seeking him, keep pressing in and, and waiting on God and his timing. We should trust the Lord, honor him with our choices, honor him with our decisions, and we should seek to be united in the way that we that we love others around us, as chapter 13 taught us, and influence people as we push back darkness the way that we described it last week for the cause of Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is who we're called to be as a faithful and obedient people, that we love God, we put him first, and we allow that decision to influence every other decision in our lives. I wonder, have you put the Lord first in your heart? As we begin to think about how we, are to, how we are to apply this as we walk out the doors later this morning, in just a few minutes even, I wonder, when you walk out that door today, who truly is the Lord of your life? Who is it that reigns and rules in your heart by faith? Are you seeking to do what you think is right? Or have you humbled yourself before the just judge and you seek to honor him with the choices. If today you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus, then even in a moment, as we pray about how God would, would lead us to respond in obedience, as we stand and we sing the, a song of invitation in that moment, if God is speaking to you today, even then I would encourage you that you would step in the aisle, you would come forward and, and let's visit together. I would love to walk you through a prayer of faith that you might surrender your heart and your life to Jesus today, that you might put him first, make him Lord and Savior of your life. And if you've taken that step, then can I encourage you that you would operate from a place of wisdom and discernment, not a place of judgment and self-righteousness in order that you trust God, the truly, the just judge, to bring conviction. I learned a long time ago, and I suppose you have too, that the Holy Spirit is a lot better Holy Spirit than I could ever be. And so I don't need to try to do his work for him. Instead, I need to let him do his work in my heart and trust that he will do the same in the lives of others around me. 
Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me this morning? And as we prepare to move into a time of response, I wonder in what ways is God speaking to you today? In what ways is his Holy Spirit prompting you? Maybe this morning something I've said has really gotten your attention. Frankly, maybe it's offended you. Maybe it's stepped on your toes in a way that sometimes I think the word of God should because it confronts those places in our lives where we, where we think ourselves wise. We think ourselves just. We think ourselves fully righteous, and we're not. Perhaps you're here today, and God is speaking to you, drawing you to put him first, to trust Jesus by faith. And even as we begin to sing in a moment, my prayer is that you would act in obedience by calling on Jesus as Lord and Savior, trusting him by faith. Would you pray with me now? Lord, I am grateful that you have saved us. Now, we just acknowledge that we are not deserving. I am not deserving of your forgiveness. And yet, Lord, it's given freely, richly. Thank you, Lord, that you that you save us, that you set us free from sin. Help us now as we seek to honor you, not only in the, in the big, the consequential, but even in the small, seemingly less important decisions. Help us to honor you in all areas of our heart and life as we put you first and then operate from that place where you, Jesus, are on the throne of our heart, so to speak, ruling and reigning in our lives. And may we be united as we seek to love others with the love that you have given to us, knowing that someday we will stand judgment before you. And in that moment, Lord, we want to be able to say faithfully and truly, I did everything I could to honor you. So lead us, Holy Spirit, as we respond to you. And all this we pray in your name. Amen. As we stand together this morning, we sing this song. Let me encourage you. If God's speaking to you today, you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus, I'll be here at the front. I would love to visit with you and lead you through that prayer of commitment. Perhaps God's speaking to you in some other way today. And he's, the Holy Spirit is pressing on you that you need to trust God with these matters. Then I want to encourage you that you would respond in obedience to him even in that. As we sing this song and we, and we move in obedience to him today. Let's sing.